Blog Talk Radio. Republican compromise. 
And that does not include the GOP's focus on stripping the president's executive power over his actions on immigration and restoring diplomatic relations with Cuba. Those battles would begin soon enough and likely shortly after Republicans fulfill Mitch McConnell's pledge to the religious right to immediately assail women's reproductive rights and pass a two-piece, pass a two-piece of legislation it doesn't make sense. And passed two pieces of legislation to satiate the Koch brothers' lust for power for at least a couple of weeks. For the past month, Republicans boasted that they had plans to quickly advance energy and health care legislation that stalled in the Democratic-controlled uh, Senate to show the American people that they are serious about governing effectively. Allegedly, by focusing on the American people's highest priorities, uh, on the Koch brothers' uh, Senate side, according to South Dakota Republican Senator John Thune, we Republicans have sort of laid down the marker, and we need to follow through as soon as the 114th Congress convenes. However, it may be a contentious task to follow through because many hardline conservatives are already complaining loudly that congressional Republicans intend on starting out too timidly and are demanding that if Republicans are true and pure conservatives, they will really impose their will on the nation according to the authority bestowed on them by the Colts. Isn't that disgusting? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, the House has been planning and is anxious to pass legislation this week to expedite the Keystone XL pipeline, Mm. which is being, you know, that uh, Obama vetoed that, all right? Yeah. Well, uh, I thought this was uh, this new one. No, this is uh, two days ago. No, uh, yesterday. Yesterday. Was yesterday. Obama, I think he vetoed that already. I'm not aware that he did. Yeah, he, he's talked about it. They, they, they sent it up. He there. said he would. Yeah. Um, I know he's against that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other. Uh, What's okay. the second thing that they. Yeah, uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Follow the House regarding Constitution as part of their pledge to uh, disregard the Constitution as part of their pledge to enact health care and energy legislation to start creating jobs. The Senate, Coke Senate, will do their due diligence to the Coke brothers to demand that the Canadian oil pipeline uh, permit is immediately approved to further enrich the Coke brothers. John Boner's painter's uh, uh, stock portfolio. And TransCanada, a foreign corporation. It should be a wake-up call to Americans that the first order of business for Republicans is not governing according to the American people's priorities, but governing according to which whatever means will enrich the Cokes to the tune of $100 billion, increase Bain's stake in Canadian tar sand companies, and provide profits for, foreign, for a foreign entity, Canada, will not let build its and, and for a foreign entity, Canada will not let build its rupture-prone pipeline on Canadian yeah, soil. I, I wanted to say that you know, I didn't I, 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 as much as I, as much as I, am against the Koch brothers and their policies. Uh-huh. Right? They, they, <laughs> what what Obama's planning to do or has been doing all along is backing uh, Goldman Sachs, okay, and 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 the bankers' policies. He's nothing but a corporate whore and a show. All right, and that—that's a real. That's, that's a real, not much better. That's no better. And what they're putting together now is this this uh, this group here. I don't even know who it is. Let's see. Uh, 
Politicus USA, mm-hmm. uh, liberal politics. It, it's like, you know, they're going after Cook, but they won't even touch Obama's miserable record, okay? And what he's planning to do is to, to completely destroy, uh, you know, U.S. sovereignty through the, through the trade agreement. And well, and the Republicans are in support of that, and they're too. they're in total support of it, too. Because it gives corporations vast uh, stretches everywhere of power. All right. Here's another thing. That, okay. One million adults to lose food stamps this year. Here are the first one million casualties of the GOP takeover. Roughly one million of the nation's poorest all right, um, will be losing uh, uh, food stamps because it's uh, they're They've reconstructed the disability. They're taking stuff away from disability. Uh, from still sick yeah, yeah. people. Roughly one million of the nation's poorest will be cut off SNAP, formerly known as the Food Stamp Program, over the course of 2016 due to the return in many areas of a three-month limit on SNAP benefits for unemployed adults aged 18 to 50 who aren't disabled or raising minor children. These individuals will lose their food assistance benefits after three months, regardless of how hard they are looking for work. That sounds pretty bad, but the real knee to the groin is a couple is a couple of paragraphs below. The loss of food assistance, which averages approximately $150 to $200 per person per month for this group, will likely cause a serious hardship among many. Agriculture Department data shows that the individuals subject to the three-month limit have an average monthly income of approximately 19% of the poverty line, and they typically qualify for no other income support. That's 19% below the poverty line. That's 19% of of the poverty line or 81% below the poverty line. These people will go hungry, period. Under the 1996 welfare law, Adults aged 18 to 49 who are not physically or mentally unfit for work or caring for a minor child are ineligible to SNAP if they have received three months of SNAP benefits while unemployed during the previous 36 months. Months of SNAP receipts don't count toward the limit if the individual is working at least half-time, participating in qualifying work or training program activities for at least 20 hours a week or living in an area with high unemployment where the three-month limit is temporarily waived. When signing the welfare law in 1996, President Clinton singled out this as one of the bill's most harmful provisions and called for it to be substantially changed. The reason for so many people losing food uh, food stamps is because most states were granted federal waivers during the Great Recession. Those waivers are now expiring. Kansas and Oklahoma are so eager to cut off food for the poor that they've moved to the head of the line. We can see what that did. Wow. That's pretty sad. So, anyway. Um, they showed a graph. Yeah. You, you so, can't see it, folks. But, but it is pretty, it's pretty sick. And uh, I don't know why Missouri and Kansas would be so eager to... Uh, okay. Here's, here's something that kind of shook me a little bit when I read it. Um... Obama confesses the FEMA camps will be used for prolonged detention. Will be used for prolonged detention. This is a major threat for America. Detention of whom? Americans. In this video, President Obama explains the purpose of FEMA camps is so that the government can institute the prolonged detention of American people. 
The Obama administration is using our tax dollars to prepare for the institution of this indefinite detention without trial. Even MSNBC admitted this information is particularly stunning. Please listen. But we begin tonight with a tale of two speeches, both from the same man, both from President Obama. One speech that could have been billed as a ballad to the Constitution, a proclamation of American values, a repudiation of the lawless behavior of the last presidential administration, and another speech announcing a radical new claim of presidential power that is not afforded by the Constitution and that has never been attempted in American history, even by George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. Remarkably, President Obama today made both of those speeches simultaneously. Standing inside the National Archives in front of the actual original Constitution, President Obama delivered a blistering critique of the Bush administration in which he called their actions and their legacy literally a mess. Our government made a series of hasty decisions. Poorly planned, haphazard approach. Too often, we set those principles aside as luxuries that we could no longer afford. Our government made decisions based on fear rather than foresight. The decisions that were made over the last eight years established an ad hoc legal approach for fighting terrorism that was neither effective nor sustainable. An ad hoc legal approach for fighting terrorism that was neither effective nor sustainable. Ouch. Then, moments later, he announced his own, his own ad hoc legal approach for fighting terrorism. President Obama today proposed something new, something called prolonged detention. Doesn't sound that bad, right? Prolonged detention. Did you ever see the movie Minority Report? It was based on a Philip K. Dick short story. It came out in 2002. It starred Tom Cruise, remember? He played a police officer in something called the Department of Pre-Crime. Pre-crime is where people are arrested and incarcerated to prevent crimes that they have not yet committed. Mr. Marks, by mandate of the District of Columbia Pre-Crime Division, I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks and Donald Dubinow's take place today, April 22nd, at 0800 hours and 4 minutes. No, I didn't do anything. You didn't do anything, but you're gonna. Future murder. Creepy, right? Putting somebody in jail, not for what they've done, but for what you're very sure they're going to do? There may be a number of people who cannot be prosecuted for past crimes. In some cases because evidence may be tainted. But who nonetheless pose a threat to the security of the United States. We're not prosecuting them for past crimes, but we need to keep them in prison because of our expectation of their future crimes. Al-Qaeda terrorists and their affiliates are at war with the United States, and those that we capture, like other prisoners of war, must be prevented from attacking us again. Prevented. We will incarcerate people preventively. Preventive incarceration. Indefinite detention without trial. That's what, that's what this is. That's what President Obama proposed today. If you strip away the euphemisms. One civil liberties advocate told the New York Times today, quote, we've known this was on the horizon for many years, but we were able to hold it off with George Bush. The idea that we might find ourselves fighting with the Obama administration over these powers is really stunning. And it is stunning, particularly to hear President Obama claim the power to keep people in prison indefinitely with no charges against them, no conviction, no sentence, just imprisonment. 
it's particularly stunning to hear him make that claim in the middle of a speech that was all about the rule of law. <laughs> but we must do so with an abiding confidence in the rule of law. Our government was defending positions that undermine the rule of law to ensure that they are in line with the rule of law. How can a president speak the kind of poetry that President Obama does about the rule of law and call for the power to indefinitely, preventively imprison people because they might commit crimes in the future? How can those two things coexist in the same man, even in the same speech? Well, that brings us to the self-consciously awkward, embarrassing part of this speech today. <laughs> After condemning the Bush administration for what he called their ad hoc legal strategy for trying to make things seem legal that patently weren't, this is what President Obama proposed. My administration has begun to reshape the standards that apply to ensure that they are in line with the rule of law. We must have clear, defensible, and lawful standards for those who fall into this category. We must have a thorough process of periodic review so that any prolonged detention is carefully evaluated and justified. Our goal is to construct a legitimate legal framework for the remaining Guantanamo detainees that cannot be transferred. Our goal is not to avoid a legitimate legal framework. In our constitutional system, prolonged detention should not be the decision of any one man. If and when we determine that the United States must hold individuals to keep them from carrying out an act of war, we will do so within a system that involves judicial and congressional oversight. And so going forward, my administration will work with Congress to develop an appropriate legal regime so that our efforts are consistent with our values and our Constitution. You'll construct a legal regime to make indefinite detention legal. You will, what does he say? Develop an appropriate legal regime so you can construct a whole new system outside the courts, even outside the military commissions, so that you can indefinitely imprison people without charges, and you'll build that system from scratch. What's that somebody said about ad hoc legal strategies? Just for context here, in the United Kingdom, where there isn't even a Bill of Rights, there's been a major debate about whether people can be held in preventive detention. Former British Prime Minister Tony Blair wanted three months to be the outer limit for how long anyone could be held. There was a big political fight about it. Parliament ended up limiting that power to 28 days. 28 days is still the longest period of preventive detention that's allowed under law in any comparable democracy anywhere in the world. How long would President Obama's proposed preventive indefinite detention last? Well, he's not saying yet, but here's how he defines the threat that he says makes indefinite detention necessary. Right now in distant training camps and in crowded cities, there are people plotting to take American lives. That will be the case a year from now, five years from now, and in all probability ten years from now. Ten years from now. So you could get arrested today and locked up without a trial, without being convicted, without being sentenced for, say, 10 years until the threat of your future criminal behavior passes. Prolonged detention, he's calling it. This is a beautiful speech from President Obama today with patriotic, moving, even poetic language about the rule of law and the Constitution and one of the most radical proposals for defying the Constitution that we have ever heard made to the American people. No, I tell you, folks, it's, uh, it's really sick.
It is really disgusting. This guy talks with his head up his butt. He talks out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah, is what he like, does. Oh I mean, does he realize what he's saying? It doesn't make any sense. He just thinks he can say anything and get away with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the new U.S. currency will now in effect. You know, there's something that's frightening that that that, that is changing radically with the G8. G8, the G20 summit, all right, in Australia there that they have, they now um, say that your your savings or your money in the bank mm-hmm. no longer is no longer insured, well, and it's no longer can be considered money, okay, your money is considered their money, all right, so it can be taken away at any time and not reimbursed. Yeah, yeah, this is amazing. This is what the G20 did. Same thing they did in Cyprus, all right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you believe America's financial problems in 2008 have been fixed? This is from uh, the crux. Um, I have a question for you. Do you think the economy can really be back to normal in our country when roughly 75% of Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck with essentially zero savings, or when the number of people on food stamps has doubled since Barack Obama took office, and half of all children born today will be on food stamps at some point in their life. Do you think everything can really be back to normal when, according to the most recent numbers from the Census Bureau, an incredible 49% of Americans are receiving benefits from at least one government program every single month? If you are skeptical skeptical about our politicians' claim that the U.S. economy has been fixed and everything is back to normal, you are not alone. In fact, a multimillionaire businessman from Maryland says not only is our economy not back to normal, but a bigger and even more devastating crisis is imminent. That is why he recently put together a 90-page survival blueprint, which details everything you need to know to protect your family and your money. For example, if you get this thing, You'll learn the radical step one New Orleans neighborhood took to protect their homes and families after Hurricane Katrina. The world's best asset in times of crisis. This has nothing to do with precious metals. It has soared over 1,000% since 1992. I bet that's water. I wonder. Uh, yeah, wait, the world's best asset? Yeah, in times of crisis. Probably gold. Probably since what? 1992, it went to gold. Oh, maybe. Yeah, the yeah. assets you legally do not have to report to the government and much more. I don't know. So there's, there's this thing. Those are the crooks. And uh, it's, it's, kind of a, a, it's kind of an ad. But kind of interesting. interesting thing. Uh, but I do say that the what happened is, uh, and, and I hope, I'm not sure if I can get that. I, I posted that or not. I will check that in one second here. Oh, here's, here's something. That, here's, here's something I want to mention. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, the GOP is inventing a social security crisis. House Republicans literally on the first day of the new Congress quietly went after social security. Yep, the first target for House Republicans is cutting social security. On the first day that the new larger House Republican majority got to work, It made a move that could mean some 11 million people who receive Social Security disability benefits will see their lifeline benefits cut by 20% in 2016 or even cuts to Social Security benefits for everyone. 
namely opiates. Um, cardiovascular and antidepressant pills also contributed to that finding, the paper states. And through traditional marijuana, though traditional marijuana wasn't even a factor in the report, researchers found that wannabe pot, a.k.a. synthetic marijuana, along with bath salts, did their own damage, according to a summary. The, uh, the, the family of designer drugs, such as bath salts, which is a type of amphetamine, plant food, synthetic marijuana, and other, continues to poison users severely enough that they require emergency treatment. Yeah, uh, although gas off exposures peaked in 2011, new illicit drugs sold to consumers continue to be monitored by poison control centers. Most of the reported 2.2 million poisonings looked at it one recent looked at uh, looked at it one recent year. By the way, uh, didn't even require hospitalization. This study found uh, emergency physicians are continually challenged by the emergences, emergence of new types of poisonings, which lately include illicit street drugs as well as laundry detergent pods. Laundry detergent pods. Yeah, kids think they're candy because they're very colorful. But not cannabis, even in the age of legalization. So cannabis doesn't even... Doesn't, doesn't even doesn't rank. Even huh? rate. No. How about eight things you need to know about trade deals this year? A lot of buzz about the new Republican-controlled Senate is about international trade deals, particularly the Trans-Pacific Partnership and so-called fast-track authority, as we previously discussed. The problem with fast-track and TPP are plenty. They aren't good for working families. They cost jobs and increase inequality. Here are eight things you need to know about TPP and fast-track and other potential trade deals this Year. Number one, trade deals are confusing enough, but they're made worse by the alphabet soup of acronyms needed to figure out what's going on. TPP stands for Trans-Pacific Partnership and is a trade and economic policy deal being negotiated in secret between the United States and 11 other countries, including labor and human rights violators such as Vietnam, Brunei, and Mexico. Allowing human and labor rights violators in the agreement gives them a free pass. Why work any harder to raise standards when they have access to the U.S. markets they want and accelerates the race to the bottom in wages that is already hurting U.S. workers like you and me? The deal also could increase corporate control over our economy and weaken our ability to respond to a recession. The TPP could still be fixed but none of the negotiators seem interested in challenging its corporate power agenda. And how can working people have a real influence when the actual text of the deal is secret? TTIP, which stands for Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, a trade and economic policy deal being negotiated in secret between the United States and 28 countries of the European Union. Unlike the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TTIP's main goal isn't to send more U.S. jobs overseas and then turn them into sweatshops, although some of that could happen. What the TTIP is really about is eliminating regulatory barriers to trade. The problem is one person's regulatory barrier is another person's essential standard. 
whether that means lead and lipstick or reporting requirements for big banks or the right of the local government to protect its drinking water. So the TTIP still poses risks if it is not negotiated correctly. The TISA, which stands for Trade and Service Agreement, a trade and economic policy being negotiated, again in secret, between the U.S. and 49 other countries. The biggest risk of the TISA is that it hands over essential public services to private sector. I don't like that. That would be like the um, the post office, a water department, yeah. you know, anything like that. Uh, electric uh, electric generation. You know, all of that has already been done, but there's even more of that going to be ho happening. Who will squeeze uh, these private sectors? Will squeeze out every last dime of profit from the past taxpayers, while downgrade while degrading services and turning decent jobs into minimum wage, with no benefits, and there'll be dead end jobs. Number four, the deals are being negotiated in secret with important people who will be affected by the deal, most notably working families not represented in negotiations. Number five, if fast track is approved, Congress must vote on the TPP within 90 days of the of the date the President submits it to Congress, which means that there will be little time to read the agreement to find out what's even in it. Number six, fast track would limit the ability of anyone to fix the agreement to make it better. Oh, do you know, you know another thing about these, uh, these TPP? What? Congressman, Senator, nobody in the government. Have they read it? They can. They can only read this thing in in one room, and they're not allowed to. They can't even give it to the. They can't even get a copy of it to give to their. To give a, to their aides couldn't go their and aides, get it. Their aides can't look at it. All right, they can't review it. So congressmen have to. Bernie Sanders was really ripped up about this, and he really dead set against this this treaty. But you know, he. Uh, you know, the, one of the one of the things they're saying is it's this damn thing that they, they can't even. They can't even have experts review this thing. You know? I think that's so. so yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole thing is such sick. Why all, do they? I mean, why they do they allow do, this? Well, all they got to do is just just take away this fast track crap, all right, and, in in Congress, and just say, hey, you know, we're not going to do it. We're not giving you any kind of uh, you know fast track approval anymore. You know, you destroyed our country with it, and we're not we're not going to do it. But whether or not they're just too damn cowardly or too damn lazy. You know, or bought. Uh, or bought off. Uh, you know, it's just a joke. But anyway, let's let's go on because I, I got something. Something really interesting came up in uh, Massachusetts um, and uh, victory. Massachusetts governor took unprecedented step to help homeless youth. Uh, turns out, yesterday, okay, uh, victory was scored for the homeless youth of Massachusetts when Governor Deval Patrick signed into law the unaccompanied homeless youth bill. The bill instructs the Executive Office of Health and Human Services to create programs that provide a continuum of housing and support services for unaccompanied youth ages 24 and below. The services goal uh, are to improve the physical, mental, and educational outcomes for homeless youth. And it says, this law will go a long way to ensure that this specific uh, population has the necessary support to make a healthy transition into adulthood. Once again, the Commonwealth is passing legislation that will set the standard for other states attempting to adjust unaccompanied youth homelessness. 
According to the 2011 data from the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, as reported by Massachusetts Coalition for the Homeless, there are approximately 1.6 million unaccompanied youth across the nation who are homeless in Massachusetts. There are an estimated 5,853 students who are homeless and unaccompanied by parent or legal guardian. These numbers are heartbreaking. And according to Mass uh, Equality, youth who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transgender, or queer make up nearly 40% of the unaccompanied homeless youth. Massachusetts has marked a milestone in taking the right step to expand housing and services to a segment of the population that's been ignored by this nation for too long. And there's a video, a short video here that goes with it. Let's see, let's listen to the audio. It's only about a minute long. New bills up for a vote that would provide housing and support services for homeless youth. Good evening and welcome to 22 News at 530. I'm Barry Krieger. And I'm Laura Hutchinson. Homelessness continues to be an issue here in Massachusetts, especially among young people. 22 News State House reporter Tiffany Chan details a bill that could help these young people get back in their feet. State lawmakers are taking steps to connect homeless youth with the services needed to become more independent. Nearly 6,000 high school students are either living on their own or homeless, according to the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Budget leaders are one step closer to establishing a permanent commission that will look at ways to provide support services to young people with no home or job. The commission will focus on people under 24 with no parent or guardian and no place to live. Members will work with a number of state agencies to help homeless youth go back to school find jobs, and establish a stable housing environment. The idea was approved by the State House Budget Committee today. Next, it will go to the Senate for consideration. At the State House in Boston, Tiffany Chan, 22 News. So that's, you know, that's what's going on there. I, I, and I, I bet a lot of those kids, the kids that age out of child protective services, and then they, they have nowhere, nowhere to go. go. That's part of it, yeah. And they, they aren't able to find kids, jobs, but, yeah. you know, yeah. so they age out of that. Oh, so that's good. They'll be taken care of till they're 24. Mm. And at least, you know, maybe help to find jobs and, you know. The average CEO makes 933 times a minimum wage worker. So it says, it gives a chart there, the average, keep going up, go up. This guy makes 14 million dollars a year. Okay, and that's the CEO. And this guy makes fifteen thousand way at the bottom of the of the, you know, the minimum wage work. They don't even raise the minimum wage. Yeah. Gee, the guy at the top making fifty cents more. Yeah. And um, let's see. This is, here. Um, this is interesting. I thought coal companies are selling coal to themselves to get government subsidies. Is Coal companies are selling coal to themselves to get more government subsidies. In what is being described as a fundamental shift in how the coal industry does business, over 40% of all coal produced in Wyoming is now being first sold not to a power plant or utility, but to a subsidiary of the same company that mined the coal, a 17-fold increase since 2004, the U.S.'s largest coal-producing state. According to according to a new report by the Center of American Progress, these inside deals 
between coal companies and their subsidiaries known as captive transactions are aimed in part at inter intentionally dodging federal and state royalty payments and maximizing taxpayer-funded subsidies from the U.S. Department of the Interior. Huh. The CAP review released on Tuesday found that five of the largest coal companies operating in the Power River Basin in Wyoming and Montana have collectively created a network of 566 subsidy companies uh, through which they sell and market coal. Peabody Energy alone, which operates the country's largest coal mine in Wyoming, boasts 242 domestic and foreign subsidiaries which, with names like Coal Sales 2, LLC. Oh. Under current regulations, coal companies pay royalties on the first sale to another company after mining coal on federal land. The coal then can be bought and sold multiple times until it reaches the final destination and is sold to an end user, such as a power plant where it is burned for electricity. By building up uh, hundreds of subsidiaries, coal companies have been able to sell to their own companies and partners, allegedly paying royalties based on an artificially low sale price. And the CAP analysis presents uh, evidence that captive transactions are common practice in the coal industry and regularly exploited to evade royalty payments and maximize subsidies. And increasingly, the major coal companies are selling Powder River Basin coal not only uh, not on an open market, but to an elaborate network of shell companies that they own and control. Um, the gaming of the system is costing federal and state governments millions of dollars in lost royalty payments and given the Powder River Basin an unfair advantage over other coal-producing regions. And yeah, the article uh -huh. goes on. But you know what? The crooked, crooked, crooked best. And we allow this, you know? Yeah. We allow it. Um, so proud. Here we go, folks. We're number one. The United States passed the old Soviet Union for the largest prison system in history. That's right. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's a sad thing to Yeah, me. this is from Addicting Info. And it's, uh, uh, it's the article here. It says, as far as prisons go, the Soviet gulags under Joseph Stalin are considered some of the worst in history, with over 18 million victims during the 40 years they were in use, uh, far more than the Nazi concentration camps. The gulags resulted in the death of just under a million people, nowhere near extremes of, of Nazi Germany. Uh, but knowing this number, how many people who actually suffered in the very harsh conditions of the Soviet prison system, a more chilling realization comes up that the United States is rapidly approaching the Soviets for the number of people in prison. As of 2009, the United States had over 7 million people who were either in prison or on probation at this time. Um, since uh, direct numbers do not exist for the total form of prison population. The estimate for the total number of people who are in or have been through the U.S. system uh, continues, uh, comes to just under 20 million, more than the Soviet gulags. Uh, the Soviet gulags, they said, had 18 million. Wow. During the 1950s, the United States prided itself on a system of justice that we would never carry out a system engineered to create a prison state. However, with the rise of mandatory minimum sentences, thanks to the so-called war on drugs, combined with numerous companies using prisons as a cheap pool of labor, it is hard to see the difference anymore. From manufacturing to agriculture, from 
drug laws to the return of debtors' prisons, the United States has created the very thing we attacked the old Soviet Union over, uh, only privatized and for profit. The Soviet Gulag was also was above all else designed for what the Soviets called uh, Vospinani, or uh, re-education. The goal was to prevent the reoccurrence of crime, and for the most part, it was successful. And during the prisoner's long labor, they were also educated, not just in vocational activities, but also in cultural. The gulags were a center of expanding the arts, particularly music in the Soviet Union. It would be inconceivable here in the United States to imagine whole orchestras of prisoners, but we have no issue with prisoners stitching together women's lingerie. But wait, those who those uh, you know, but wait, those who would defend the United States would say the gulags arrested political prisoners, not just those convicted of crimes. The reality is those in the gulags were convicted of crimes, many times over inflated charges based on mandatory minimum sentences, multiple strike convictions, uh, and uh, in short, the very things we ourselves are doing. <laughs> They picked some arbitrary activity which, they, uh, which their opposition would be engaged in and focused enforcement selectively, just as we find here in the United States. Even the most abhorrent of crimes is forgiven if you fit in with the politically connected and wealthy within the United States. Boy, that's so true. Um, now, uh, now, thankfully, we are finally seeing these trends drop, and not as, any, not as many executions but we still are far beyond historical average. Our prisoners now have a lower death rate while incarcerated, thanks in part to better access to medical overall, uh, while the federal prisoner death rate continues to climb. <clears throat> the United States has lost its moral authority to criticize other nations in so many areas due to the abandonment of our own ethical standards. It should come as no surprise that the neoconservatives who dominate our political system would have done this to our once great nation. Now all we ask is that we are going to do, what are we going to do about it? So, I don't know, folks. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. Elect more Republicans. Huh. This is funny. This is funny. This is surprising. Um, it just turned out that uh, there are 4.1 million homeless people and 11 million empty houses in Europe. They still have a serious homeless problem as well. Lila? Yes, I did. Did you know that? Yep. Yes, I don't know the sti- I didn't know the statistics in particular, but oh, I know it's a problem. I was down in D.C. and saw a whole homeless city. It's very, very depressing to me. Yeah, you say they're under a under a overpass or something. Yeah. With it. Yeah. Under uh, under overpasses, they were all, oh, it was awful. Yeah. And that's what foreigners see when they drive into the city to the... Yeah, oh, it's wonderful, horrible. Uh, wonderful wealth of, the, of America. But here's something. GM corn modified with hepatitis B vaccine is grown with little oversight. Imagine that. For, at a secret location among the vineyards of California's central coast, a plot of genetically engineered corn is producing proteins for industrial and pharmaceutical uses, including an experimental vaccine for hepatitis C. 
an entire arsenal of scientific research proving that genetically modified organisms adversely affect the body. And yet another new study conducted by Egyptian researchers, rats given GMO or G, GM soy were found to have deadly amounts of toxicity in their kidneys, liver, testes, sperm, blood, and even DNA. Is there any question anymore about the true poisons that are biotech squalid wares? The, hist the histopathological um, assessments made by the researchers of the rat's body's uh, tissue leave no room for mistakes or misjudgment. You can't argue over the results as some GMO supporters have tried to do with other studies. Uh, Seralini's study is one of the most quoted papers on the Internet, yet Monsanto gave a lengthy reputation of its findings. Seralini stands firm in his findings with the support of thousands of other scientists around the world, though you'd think that he was some sort of quack with comments that biotech makes to try to discredit him. What does Monsanto do when studies like this one keep mounting? The evidence comes out again and again against GMOs. Then what? What happens when research finds GM soy to be linked to sterility and infant mortality? I mean, and the, the list is endless. Look, look at this, man, of all, of, all the, of all the toxic chemicals and stuff that, that are, you know. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just sick. So, come on, folks. Let's get out of this thing, all right? Let's stop Stop eating anything with soy in it. Ugh. Soy milk. Can you imagine soy milk? You're giving this stuff to your kids? Hmm. Ah. Yeah. Not the Yeah. This is interesting. There's something Snow uh, Edward Snowden came up with recently in an interview. Spy agencies, false flag operations. About this, exposed um, by Snowden's leaks. Yes. Hey, new Snowden leaks show how spy agencies disrupt, discredits dissent, and keeps and sets up false flag operations. In a new leaked document, journalist Glenn Greenwald exposed how the UK government communication headquarters uses questionable tactics to infiltrate, disrupt, and discredit voices government doesn't agree with. Hello! <laughs> They've done that to us already, haven't they? Uh -huh. I mean, a number of times. I mean, countless times. We even destroyed the, the network we're on. Right. The, uh, the, the document entitled The Art of Deception, training the, one, the online covert operations, reveals shady practices used, uh, like using honey traps that may start as internet dating, but the PowerPoint also points to an in-person meeting to discredit the subject. Other findings include false flag operations, undertaking malicious actions and making it look like the work of a group they wish to discredit. The application of social sciences like sociology and psychology to disrupt and steer online activist discussions lure targets into compromising sexual situations, deploy malicious software and, vi and virus, and post lies about targets in, the or in order to discredit them. According to NBC News, the British government, when asked about the document, would not confirm or deny the report. All of GCHO's work is carried out in accordance with the strict legal and policy framework, said the statement, which ensures that our activities are authorized, necessary, and proportionate, and uh, that there is rigorous oversight. All right. Uh, but anyway, uh, 
this is what he said. Yes, this is exactly what Edward Snowden said. So, if you want to uh, see more, they have several graphs, really interesting graphs of how these guys really just screw or screw you over.
false ad operations, flag operations, posting material to the Internet and falsely attributing it to someone else, fake victim blog posts, pretending to be a victim of the individual whose reputation they want to destroy, and posting negative information on various forums. Here is one illustrated list of tactics from the latest GCHQ document we're publishing today. Disruption of original playbook, right here. Infiltration operation, ruse operation, set piece operation, I don't know what that is, false flag operation, false rescue operation. Oh, they did that when they went to get Obama. Obama, yeah. Disruption operation and sting operation. Other tactics aimed at individuals' rights are listed here under the revealing title, Discredit a Target. Set up a honey trap. Changing, change their photos on social networking sites. Write a blog purporting to be one of their victims. Email or text their colleagues, neighbors, or friends. Discredit company. Leak confidential, confidential information to companies suppressed by a blog. Post negative information on appropriate forums. Stop deal, room business relationships. You know, it's funny that they did that. And I, I, I know because some of that was done by me, not by me, to me. You know when we first started on the radio? Yeah. Radio, and we were, we were really getting blasted and criticized by a lot of people. Well, all of a sudden, I started getting a lot of um, strange things. I'd go into Google, look up uh, the LA Steel Show and stuff, you know, and I'd see, uh, I'd see strange postings to different uh, to, to, to places uh, with using uh, my name, huh. all right? And it wasn't and, you. Oh, no, and they were saying vile things about uh, different people, you know, liberal people, you know, and, and trying to undermine my... Um, my uh, undermine me, okay, hmm. my early reputation, and I, and I was really, I really got ticked off about it, but, you know, I realized that was happening all along, and, you know, anybody, anywhere who could, who could manipulate, you know, later, I, I realized they did, and they, they could uh, hack your website, bring your website yep. down, yeah. they could, you know, destroy you, you know, so many ways, bring your show down, and destroy your, your, your internet shows. Well, right now, we've come to the end of this show. So no matter your views on anonymous activists or garden variety criminals, it's not difficult to see how dangerous it is to have secret government agencies being able to target any individuals they want who have been uh, who have never been charged with, let alone convicted of any crimes. That's us. And with these sorts of online deception-based tactics, the reputation destructive and, and disruption. The broader point is that far beyond activists, these surveillance agencies have vested themselves with the power to deliberately ruin people's reputations and disrupt their online political activity, even though they've been charged with no crimes, and even though their actions have no conceivable connection to terrorism or even national security threats. As anonymous expert Gabriella Coleman of McGill University told me, targeting anonymous and activist amounts to uh, targeting citizens for expressing their political beliefs, mm -hmm. resulting in the stifling of legitimate dissent. And pointing to this study, she published Professor Coleman vehemently contested the assertion that there is anything terrorist violent in their actions. Mm -hmm. And it goes on. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing. But if you want to check that article out, go to uh, 
Good night, folks. Have a good night. Stay warm. And a Happy New Year.